Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're going to finish up this chapter this morning, Lord willing. Romans chapter 12. It's no surprise to us that we live in a wicked culture. The world around us is wasting away and will continue until Christ returns. And sadly, our world can still get worse. As our world mocks God and his people for following his word, it can become easy to get angry and bitter. We want to turn to the book of Psalm and pray an imprecatory prayer for God's judgment on them. But the question is, how does the gospel affect the way we live in a sin-cursed world that hates God? Ironically, the book of Romans was written in a very similar culture to ours. Christians were being imprisoned, beaten, mocked, and even martyred for their faith. They were ridiculed for believing that this Jewish man died on a cross for their sins and rose again as their savior and king. They were made fun of for their purity and soberness. Christian morals were not popular then, and they aren't popular today. So how should we live in a world that hates God? Romans 12, 9 through 21 gives us the answer. The gospel requires that we love like Christ. So far in, in Romans 12, we've seen that the necessary response to the gospel is to commit our whole lives to serving Jesus Christ. We're to resist conformity to this wicked world and instead submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit's transforming work. Last week we saw that every Christian has been enabled by the Holy Spirit with gifts to serve Christ's church. Now Paul transitions to what kind of character the gospel requires. In this passage, Paul echoes the teaching of Jesus. We are required to love God and love others. Love is the supreme virtue of Christianity. And with over 20 commands, in this passage, Paul develops two demands that determine how we can show Christ's love to the world. Let's read Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The first demand that Paul uh, gives of our, of our love is found in verses 9 through 13. You will love others by your actions. That first command in verse 9 is really the theme of the whole passage. Let love be genuine. This is the title. Scripture commends love as the supreme character trait of Christianity. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the supreme character trait of Christianity. And Paul's command here is to love genuinely or without hypocrisy. Our love for God and for each other should be real. This is the first time in the book of Romans where the word agape for love is used for human love. This is the strongest form of love in the New Testament. And up to this point, this word has been exclusively used only for God's love for us. It's used in Romans chapter 5, verses 5 through 8. It says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts, the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then as pastor prayed, Romans 8, verse 37. Know in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul has used this word to refer to God's special redeeming love for his elect. And now in Romans 12, Paul uses this word to show us that true love is only possible because of God's love. We can love genuinely because God loves us. 1 John 4.11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Genuine love can only come from God. To love others, we must first love God. So we must define love. Love, as we see it in Scripture, is unconditionally seeking the good of others, even at the sacrifice of self. It's unconditional. It doesn't matter if that person deserves it or not. Love is seeking. It's an action. It's something we do. The good of others. Not just the well-being or the benefit. It's the good of others, as God defines it. Even at the sacrifice of of self. This is what love is in Scripture. This is the kind of love that we are to have. If your love for God is genuine, then your love for others will follow suit. Then loving God is practically defined in the next two commands. It says, Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. That's a good definition of what it means to love God. If you truly love God, then you will hate sin and you will seek good. 
Because we love a, a holy and awesome God, we must hate what rebels against Him. We must abhor what is evil. We hate evil because evil is what condemned us to hell. We hate evil because God hates evil. We abhor sin because Christ had to sacrifice Himself on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. We are to abhor what is evil. And not only that, we are, but true love for God means we must cling to what is good. We must hold fast to what is good. That means what is righteous, holy, honorable, and pure. It's not enough to just say you hate sin. We must cling to the character of God. We must seek what is right in the eyes of the Lord. True love, genuine love, is obedience and devotion to God. Something that is genuine is tested and proven to be true. When, when someone is crafting a sword or a spear, the smith must quench the hot iron in oil or water, and then they test it with a file. If, if the metal is still soft, the file will bite and chew at the metal. But if it is hardened, then the file won't work. Paul is giving us the test for genuine love. If we hate sin and pursue good, then we truly love God. However, if we say that we have love, but we still enjoy evil and we ignore what is good, then we fail the test. First John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And later on it says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, does not, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Genuine love is proved by actions. Paul goes on to describe some of the clear actions that genuine love does. Verses 10 and 11. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. These verses tell us that true love, genuine love, is expressed through service. That term brotherly affection means we are to help and care for one another as a family. We should competitively honor each other as a church. That means put others before yourself. Serve each other with zeal and fervency. The Holy Spirit is the one that empowers us to serve. And our service is always for the Lord. Not ourselves, but to God. But Paul is talking about serving others. Which means that your service to your neighbor, your service to your church member, is counted in the eyes of God as service to the Lord. To serve with zeal and fervency means to actively pursue ways to serve your church, your neighbors, and your community. We don't serve for attention or reward from men, but because we are serving the Lord. This is where our focus must be and remain. We serve others to serve Christ. We don't serve that person because they deserve it or because we like them. We serve because Christ commands it. He deserves our service. 
So serve others to serve Christ. Verse 12 is focused on our relationship with God. It says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So verse 12 focuses on our relationship with God, while verse 13 focuses on our relationship with others. We love God by trusting him. If you're joyfully waiting for the return of Christ, if you're exercising patience and tribulation, if you're consistently on your knees and before the Lord in prayer, then you're trusting the goodness of God. His character is supremely, purely, and completely good. He is without any corruption or evil or sin. The more we understand God's goodness and love, the more we trust him. We can rejoice because one day Christ will deliver us from this sinful world. And we'll be in his perfect presence for eternity. When we face trials, we can be patient because we know that God is working all things out for our good and his glory. God is using our pain and struggles to produce godly character in our hearts. We can be constant in prayer because we know that God hears our requests. And both the Son and the Spirit of God are interceding on our behalf. These three commands in verse 12 come from a deep, settled trust in the character of God. And then verse 13 returns our focus to loving others. Genuine love is proved by generous giving. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. We love by giving our money, by giving our resources to our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need. The church should be a place where we take care of each other. We should not withhold our money from God. Christ purchased you on a cross that includes your money. Serve the Lord by graciously and generously giving to your church. This is a clear sign of a heart that has been changed by the gospel. The next command is to show hospitality. In those days, inns were very expensive and dangerous. You wouldn't use them unless you wanted to be robbed. So believers like Paul who were traveling would rely on people in the church to open their homes. It's a lot safer. Hospitality and charity are not an option. They're commanded here. These actions clearly demonstrate the love of Christ. Paul says, show hospitality to one another. Selfishness is probably the biggest enemy of love. When we are self-seeking, self-centered, and self-satisfied, we are standing in direct opposition to the gospel itself. God demonstrated his love to us at the cost of his only son. He held nothing back to pursue us. And there was nothing good in us that deserved that love. So how selfish we must be to not humbly love others as God commands. People don't deserve love. No one deserves love except God. 
But that's the point. We love because we are loved. We love to show the love of Christ. We love because God sacrificed His Son for us. We must realize that the hardest times to love are often the best times. Paul is describing gospel character. This is what we want to be as Christians. And by God's grace, we can be. Our service must never be done without love. Romans chapter 12 parallels 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians 12 is a longer list of spiritual gifts and their purposes. And then 1 Corinthians 13 is the passage we read at weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is genuine. The love chapter. Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 is the same here. We cannot serve without love. If you serve without love, it is worthless. It's vain. It's empty. Our love is to be holy. That means set apart from sin. We must cling to the character of God. He is always good to us. He never fails or gives up on us. That should motivate us to love others because God loves them. Love means that we respect others. We must treat other people with dignity and care. Love must be guided by service and devotion to the Lord. That's the goal. Serving Christ. We should be generous and welcoming because of love. For the husband or wife, love in action is shutting off the television and spending more time together. For the parent, love in action is disciplining your children when they are sinful, guarding their modesty, or not allowing them to go to that worldly party. For the church member, love in action is faithfully serving in a ministry, giving your money to the church. Training up the next generation after you. For the employee, love in action is joyfully doing that job that no one else wants to do, that everyone else ignores. Love in action is not easy, but God's love demands that we hate evil and pursue good. So we do these hard things to show our love for God and show His love to the world. If you love God, then Scripture demands that you love others by your actions. Not only does this text demand that you love by your actions, but the second command in verses 14 to 21 is that you will love others by your reactions. You will love others by your reactions. As Christians, we will be persecuted. We will be mocked, laughed at, and rejected. But we're to be gracious and kind to those that do this to us. Paul says to bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse them. To bless them means to call on God's favor for someone. So those that laugh at you, those that persecute you, Paul says call on God's favor for them. Instead of praying for our enemy's judgment, we're to pray for their salvation. Instead of cursing those that hate us, we're to ask God to bless them. How we react to people and circumstances matters just as how much we act. We are to show God's love even to those that hate us. 
Why? Because God shows his love for us and that while we were still rebellious sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 15 says we are to rejoice with the joyful and have compassion on the hurting. It says rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Our reactions to the circumstances of others are opportunities to love. This can be challenging because when people are doing well, we often get jealous. But we should be thanking God and rejoicing for them. Don't rain on their parade. Celebrate with them. When someone is hurting, don't react by being cold or harsh. Don't rebuke them for being sad or hurt. Rather, be gentle and compassionate. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Once again, in verse 16, this chapter is telling us, swallow your pride. Paul is saying, you are not better than anyone else. So serve, comfort, and exhort everyone. Don't be a know-it-all. The issue of pride is a recurring theme in this chapter. Really, because pride opposes the gospel of Jesus Christ. To live in harmony, we must humble ourselves. We must forgive those that hurt us. And we must seek to agree with others. Pride disrupts harmony. The word haughty means smug, arrogance, snobbish. A haughty person is a, gives a cold shoulder to the hurting and a nasty attitude to the well-off. This is not a characteristic of a believer in Jesus Christ. If you are wise in your own sight, then you are infatuated with yourself. You're an egoholic. This kind of attitude destroys the idea of the whole passage. This hurts the testimony of God's love if you are cold-hearted and arrogant. On the contrary, when we love people, even when they have hurt us, we clearly display the love of God. We have to keep the purpose of this passage in mind as we read these verses. We're talking about practical Christian living that demonstrates the love of Christ. Verses 17 through 21 say, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. These verses teach us that we are to show God's love to the world by not retaliating when we have been wronged. James 1.20 says, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Our revenge, our retaliation, is saturated with sin and pride. Even if someone hurts you for no reason, revenge is not right because you are sinful. 
You are no better than the person that is hurting you. Our responsibility is to keep the testimony of Christ. We're to pursue peace and honor. As much as possible, we're to be people of peace. Ultimately, God is the judge. When we take revenge into our own hands, we're trying to take the position of God. In verse 19, God declares, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. It is utter blasphemy to seek revenge. When you seek revenge, you are demeaning God by trying to take his place. God claims revenge as his alone. God is the judge. And his word tells us that revenge is his. No one else's. It is blasphemy to seek revenge. Not only are we to abstain from revenge, but verse 20 tells us to bless our enemies. How we, how we are to do that? By praying for their salvation. By helping them when they're in need. By loving them. There may be no stronger way to show God's love than blessing and helping those that hurt you, that hate you. When we love our enemies, we put them to shame. When we abstain from revenge and instead bless those that hate us, they have to bear the penalty for their sin alone. That means we must forgive those that hurt us and continue to love them. This is not an option for us. This is a command. Jesus said in Luke 6, 27-31, But I say to you who hear, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To, one, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Christ himself taught us to love our enemies. If we pursue revenge and cause strife, then we're the losers. We are overcome by evil when we retaliate. Verse 21 tells us to overcome evil with good. That means we must defeat the desire and the sin of revenge by pursuing peace and loving our enemies, blessing those that hate us. This is only possible if we trust the goodness of God, that he is the judge, and that one day he will make all wrongs right. And it's not up to us to judge, but for him. We must, our job is to care for those that hate us <clears throat> because they're an internal soul that needs the gospel. That's how we must view people. An eternal soul that needs Jesus. So we don't bite back. We don't retaliate. We love by our reactions. Loving by our reactions is a clear demonstration of God's love. God loved us as his enemies. Before salvation, you were not on neutral ground before God. You were an enemy of God. You were a child of wrath, a son of disobedience. 
Your every thought, action, and desire was in rebellion against God, whether you knew it or not. But he sent his son to die for you and his spirit to draw you to himself while you were still his enemy. That's why we're called to love our enemies. It clearly shows the love of Jesus. These verses remind me of the old phrase, kill him with kindness. When I was a sophomore in high school, I put that phrase to the test. We had a basketball game coming up against our league rival that would determine playoff seating. So this is a big game. Problem was, we hated this team. They were nasty. They played dirty. No one liked them. Their, their best player's name was Garrett, and he would get under my skin every game. The last time we played them, I lost my temper. It was bad. But I decided for this game, I would flip the script and be nice. I'd be nice. I was convicted for losing my temper in the past, and I wanted to change. So I was extremely nice to Garrett. I mean, every time he made a shot, I'd run over to him and congratulate him. On the free throw line, I'd give him a high five. Even if he missed, oh, great shot, man. You got the next one. Just being extremely nice to him. We ended up winning the game. But that wasn't the point. What was even better is that the rest of my time in high school... Garrett and I, who was once my enemy, became my friend. Every time we played from then on, we would talk before and after games. He came from a Catholic school, so he probably wasn't saved. But I was able to build a relationship with him and show him the love of Christ. This is just a small sample of what the love of Christ can do. Imagine the impact our church could have on our community, if we all practice what Romans 12 commands. The love of Christ would reach every home, every street, every town. We are to model the love of Jesus. He didn't retaliate when he was beaten, mocked, whipped, and nailed to a cross. Don't avenge yourself. Leave that to God. Instead, respond with love. How we live in this world matters. How we act among our co-workers, neighbors, and friends is important. Everything we do should point to the love and grace of Jesus. We must love by our reactions. Do you react to nasty people and circumstances with complaining and anger? When people who you respect hurt you, and betray your trust, do you respond with love? This may seem impossible, but this is what Scripture demands. For the spouse, love and reaction means you are quick to forgive. For the son or daughter, love and reaction means you don't roll your eyes when mom says no. For the church member, love and reaction means you go to that brother or sister in Christ when they have sinned against you with the intention of showing mercy. For the employee, love and reaction means you accept your task with thankfulness. When the boss gives you that job that you really don't want to do, you accept it with joy. 
for the follower of Christ, love and reaction means you bite your tongue, you swallow your pride, and you pray, and you love. Because God's love is so powerful, so awesome, so merciful, you can love your enemies. You can overcome evil with good. You can live in peace. That means we don't seek arguments. We don't seek fights. We don't stab back when someone throws a nasty comment at us. We don't rant on Facebook about someone else. We don't curse or mock those that hate us. God will judge everyone. Vengeance is his. One day we will stand before God and give an account. Would you rather stand before God on judgment day and explain why you took revenge and blasphemed his holiness or why you submitted to the Holy Spirit and reacted in love? If you love God, then scripture demands that you love by your reactions. The gospel requires that we love like Christ. In the midst of a culture that hates God and hates his people, Paul tells these Christians to love. Not to retaliate or hide, but to stand firm in the love of Jesus. How will you act and react in this wicked world? Will you seek revenge or will you trust the goodness of God? Will you curse your enemy or pursue peace even to the point of death? We're not commanded to only love when we feel like it or when it doesn't hurt us. We are to love all people all the time. And doing this, we show that we love God. Jesus said in John 13, 34 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As a living, holy, and acceptable sacrifice to God, you must show the love of Christ in your actions and in your reactions. This is gospel character. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are humbled by your word. Lord, help us to love as you love us. Help us to show your love to the world by the way that we act and react to those that hate us. Lord, we pray that you'd be glorified in us as a church, that we'd model your love to others. In Jesus' name, amen.